0: Hi, and welcome to the Life on This podcast, a no-bullshit discussion on how we can reimagine religion and remix spiritual practices in a way that is secular and inclusive to all. I'm your host, Sanderson Jones. I'm your co-host, James Croft. Time for some dramatic backstory. In 2013, I founded Sunday Assembly, a worldwide movement of non-religious congregations. And I'm the leader of the Ethical Society of St.
1: Louis, one of America's largest humanist congregations.
0: In April this year, I got in touch with James about writing a book on Lifefulness, the practice developed at the aforementioned Sunday Assembly that adapts the lessons of the spiritual community in a way that everyone can take part. He said yes. We then thought, why not turn all of our research, interviews, and all of those conversations into a podcast? And that's what we're doing. Today we're interviewing Tim Minchin, a comedian, musician, actor, songwriter and multi-talented genius. He's played sold-out comedy shows at the Sydney Opera House, his songs have gone mega viral a million times. He wrote the every award-winning musical Matilda and fuck off Tim, please leave some of the success for everyone else. Alongside that he's always been a proud skeptic, atheist and humanist. In his arts and public comments, he engages deeply with why we're here, how we should live, and typically set to a banging tune. What you'll find in this conversation is a brilliant discussion on why meaning is the most important thing in the universe, why Tim thinks the universe is meaningless, a moving description of the power of ritual, and some very personal insights into the cost of fame. You'll also find Tim engaging with the positive sides of spirituality and religion more than I've ever heard. Right, I've been listening
1: to Tim Minchin's music for ages. I was really fanboying throughout this whole discussion. And what surprised me a bit is how philosophically thoughtful he is about religion and spirituality. It was a deep discussion and a personal one, and I was so stoked by it
0: you want to get into the conversation so do we but i'm just going to say one quick thing since the launch of the podcast i've been saying if you want to join the lifefulness community go to www.lifefulness.io forward slash membership and it turns out there were parts of that link which didn't really work properly so it now does work what you've got a great podcast you can go to that link uh, let's get on with the show Welcome to the Life on This Podcast and uh, we are super excited to have uh, Tim Minchin with us today. This is uh, me, Sanderson, and my co-host... James Croft. Hello. Uh, And uh, Tim, we're really uh, delighted to have you. Like we have described this podcast as a no bullshit conversation about remixing religion and reimagining spirituality. And whilst researching this, I found a quote from you which said, the one thing that I hate more than religion is spirituality. I don't even know what it means. So I just predict that we're going (laughs) to have a great chat about why James and I are on a hiding to nothing.
2: I've changed my uh, feelings about that, I think, or, or I haven't. I, I think I genuinely... I, I've always felt um, slightly wary of or resentful of um, language that is so open to interpretation that it renders it meaningless and at its worst dangerous, right? The most famous one being the word God. Oh, I don't believe this and that. I just believe it's like a thing, and it's well. Don't use that word then; it's useless right now. Um, and I've always thought spirituality has fallen into that, and it still does a little because, of mm. course, it, it means so many things that you feel like you should replace it with something better. However,
0: Ooh. I,
2: I'm I'm not as um, childish about that anymore. I think I'm. I think I don't mind it. No, I, and I'm not talking about other people, of course. I'm just talking about it for myself. Mm. I think uh, If other think people I'm use the term, it, you I hate it. it. <laughs> I, I'm furious. I'm furious with other people all the time, regardless. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, we, we, I think we'll be all right. I mean, we won't – I'm too far away to punch you anyways.
0: So. You do have a tendency, like, as long as there is a – you're in Perth at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, there's – are you just, like – If there's a potential to be uh, in an area where there are large forest fires, you're going to go and move there, like Australia, California.
2: Uh, I just try and go places where shit's burning. (laughs) Uh,
0: The first question we always ask uh, people is, uh, what was the religious, spiritual or philosophical sort of background to your childhood? Uh,
2: I'd say we were Easter and Christmas... Uh, Anglicans fading down to Christmas Anglicans fading down to nothing um, and except that I went to a, a Church of England school for eleven years uh, and in primary school went to chapel sort of every morning in uh, in, in high school once a week and uh, the the chaplain at my school, a guy called Frank Sheehan, who's actually a really very very interesting man, um, certainly not very religious uh, was a a lovely um, man, Um, and so I heard a lot of prayers and sang all the songs, but no one ever tried to tell me it was real, or or really entered into that conversation at all, which I think is the vast majority of
0: English people's experience, and Australians that's the that was the weird thing about taking sunday assembly to america and i think that's one of the reasons why sunday assembly sort of had to come from the uk or it could have come from australia where it's just like yeah, hey, god like take it or leave it like if that's if you want to talk about you know we, we want to come together we sort of pass that whereas like when we took it to the u.s you know there were people who were like coming out of cults there were i asked someone what her like favorite song growing up was when she was like trying to find the great song for her to sing and she was like my family didn't uh, really like any music after 1789 i was yeah, like yeah okay
2: yeah. i mean to be fair that was a cracking year
0: oh yeah it's never going to be never going to be as yeah, good as never the late 1800s uh, the singles that came out uh, and yeah. is there any when you go and look at sort of religion either like as you understood it then or now is there one thing that you think that sort of society at the moment could take for it take from it or is there like what's an idea that you think could really benefit uh where we are now
2: i mean i think it's many 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 of the ideas because that's the whole point about religion is it's it's not transcendent it's just that what people do when they try and codify their ethics through allegory and and carrots and sticks and it's religion's just superstition plus time plus confirmation bias and then just falling towards real estate scams you know it's it's not it's it's it, but 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 it's all just the human condition and us trying to muddle through so you you, you could keep all of it really uh, and I, uh, the trouble with religion is the less you believe it, the better it is. That, that's its kind of fundamental mm-hmm. problem, right? The, the best, people are like, religion's fine. Look, look at my uncle and my thingy. And you go, yeah, so religion's fine, the lower the dose you get, because religion's benign when it's benign. The less you believe God and you believe the tenets of the old books, the nicer it is or the more you interpret them through the lens of modern ethics that have come from a secular discussion about it. The harder you hold on to the old books, the more problematic it is. So unless you're culturally connected to the thing, you can't help but ask the question, well, why not just fade all the book out and just leave the conversation about what it is to be human? Um, The answer is, because even Sanderson and James struggle to get the momentum that religion has got. And what you are trying to do is fill the... What I don't believe is I don't believe you can abolish religion without a huge, huge hole. And and you agree with that, obviously, because of your actions. Uh, Because religion is community and pause and gathering and and collective examination of morality and all those things it's just constantly distracted by old ideas that it's trying to manipulate into modern ideas and when you haven't grown up in that culture
0: it's frustrating because you just think just stop
2: talking about jesus being magic and just get on with what he was talking about
0: yeah it's so there's the amount of people who's uh Whose sort of journey out of faith begins with, well, I really started reading the Bible closely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, uh, and and look, I mean that, that point about the more benign it, the more disconnected it is from its text, the better, the better the religion can perform and the kind of damning conclusion you have to draw from that uh, is coupled with, what what connects to what i was saying about um, indistinct language or non-specific language in that it's hard to fight for superstitious for supernatural belief as a reasonable place from which to draw ethical conclusions and argue for them in law in parliament in schools it's hard to say. Yeah, my, I, my prime minister in Australia now is a, a very strong uh, Pentecostal Christian, and he says, "I, I, uh, you know, that this is my faith drives my morality." And while that is good, then that's a fine argument. But you can't really logically say, "My magic man says give to charity." and then deny someone else's right to say, my magic man says that I should be able to marry a 13-year-old or fly a, bil- a plane into a building or, or run a cult that's a, actually a real estate scam or whatever. Once you allow for um, stuff that ain't true to be the impetus for your actions, you're in trouble. So you, benign religion is implicated philosophically in the existence of malignant or malign religion, it, you know, but that's like saying I I have I'm an Australian and you know I'm implicated. know, yeah, that that's obviously a compliment.
0: You're implicated in Australia, right. mate. Get on it.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm implicated in in locking refugees up on islands. You know,
0: uh, the and that's the big that's the that's the big gotcha not. we've got at the end of yeah. this. And yeah, good
2: good. <laughs> well, I got on. Front of, I got in front of that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I was I was thinking when you were
1: talking about how religion is good in small doses that I've been spending some time with Unitarians in the UK recently. And this is a very small kind of almost post-Christian group of people. And they're very lovely. And I've been going to their digital gatherings to kind of get to know them better. And they have these Bible study classes and they read the Bible and they think about it. But most of them don't believe in God and they don't believe that it has anything special in it. But they're reading these passages and they're, they're, they had a session just about the really homophobic parts of the Bible and what to do about it. And so they read them and we had a discussion. And in the discussion, I said, well, how about we read a different book? Like how about we just get rid of this really old book and have a different one instead. And they, they could go almost to the edge of getting rid of all that, but they couldn't quite do it. And it was so frustrating. Cause I was like, you don't believe there's anything magic about this book, but you still get together to read it every week. What is that about?
2: I, I think that's really interesting. And in my experience of Unitarians in America, I've got um, Unitarian fans early on in my, you know, dipping my toe into the, pungent waters of the u.s i I gathered quite um gorgeous smart unitarian fans one particular who kind of called me on some stuff and i fought it and then had a good discussions you know um i i think you know in this discussion of how do you replace the rituals of religion but not throw the baby out with the bath water you, the unitarian sort of solution is well, let's keep reading the book because that links us to everything else and keeps it kind of transcendent a bit because it's ancient because because along my list of things that make a religion apart from superstition time and confirmation bias there's also um uh the sort of um fallacy of antiquity old stuff is old stuff is good um uh you know i I'm going to quote myself now it'll be the the last nice but you know in my in my Christmas song I say I don't believe just because ideas are tenacious it means that they're good and that and that's a that's a fundamental part of religion and the Unitarians are holding on to the fallacy of antiquity this idea of wisdom coming from the ancients which by the way like all fallacies doesn't mean it's always wrong that ancients weren't wise but um that uh, ancients were wise but uh that that's their continuity and it functions. Unitarians are doing what you guys are doing and they've got some numbers and they're and they're gathering and they're they're thoughtful, kind people, the ones I've met. So it's functioning. It's particularly frustrating though, James, exactly as you say, that not you don't even have to throw out the book because every book since has been influenced by it. It's not like it's not like we live in a post Christian whatever that means, ethical world, just like Christian ethics weren't uh, post-Greek. You know, it's, it's, it's evolved. And getting stuck on a particular set of stories that are used to illustrate these universal human ideas is incredibly frustrating. I mean, you get all the same lessons out of the complete works of Shakespeare. You
0: know? Yeah, and so that's one of the things where certainly when trying to negotiate these is trying to work out like, okay, what, how do you go and learn from the... You learn from these different texts, and when I sometimes I go and do weddings or funerals, and you still there's something about, you know, like I'd often say, we. Now I'm quoting myself, James. You go next, uh, and like we should we, have
2: handed each other our quotes, and we could have yeah, done it. So
0: that. it don't look quite so maniacal, ego maniacal. of, uh, Yet we stand in the footsteps of our ancestors, and we stand as people have done forever, bringing their friends and families together. And there is something which is magical about like which grounds you and gives you this sense of connection. And yeah, what's the right way of, so much of these conversations we have of like, what is the right way of like going, actually this can be brought in that way, that can be adapted. And the, so the next thing that we want to do is go and, we've got six questions to ask you. Uh, we're trying a new format where we, we ask all the guests these, because uh, the way we've looked at lifefulness is we looked at the most, Uh, one of the most successful books for building a congregational community and sort of translated the different parts so that anyone can do them in an inclusive way. And so we're going to sort of start off by asking, what is the, like, what's the ultimate meaning in your life? What's your sort of sacred value? Uh,
2: um, Small question. Narrative, narrative really, is what I'm coming to the conclusion of. I mean, and when I say narrative, uh, meaning to me, is synonymous with the stories we tell ourselves. So, and and like any good placebo, knowing that your meaning is just narrative doesn't diminish its impact. In fact, I think it it's it increases it because it, it, you you have autonomy or, or agency um, because you understand that. That you get to choose your meaning and you get to choose the way you tell your stories and that there's there's an ethical or moral decision to be made there as well as a decision about what will make me happy and what will soothe my fears and all that. Uh, uh, Christianity or a, a, a religion or a text is a received uh, narrative that you go, oh, well, I've been told this is the one I should live so I'm going to believe the following things depending on who's preaching. Um, obviously, there's other Narratives as nationalism and capital, you know, wealth and greed and um, power and um, and they're all fine, you know, sprinkled about. But so so meaning for me is about the stories we tell ourselves and others. And I think storytelling, therefore, it's self <laughs> self vindicating because I I don't just mean in art, but for me, I guess uh, the story I tell about what. My children mean to me, and my role in their lives. What my marriage is, um, what the meaning—you know, what what uh, death is—the um, stories I tell myself, and as it happens in my career, the stories I then tell others um, are, are synonymous with meaning. They're not about meaning; they are the meaning.
0: The, that's great, uh, and it, yeah, it's uh, interesting. The meaning your meaning is creating meaning and that's not actually tautological or circular it is like this is the most important thing in the world what could be more important than Mm. like helping to do that Well, Uh, it's the
2: only thing if you if you believe that the universe and everything in it is meaningless as i do then all you have left is um to generate it mm. and that sounds great to me that's not something that makes me feel sad
0: uh, the second one of the tricky things about this new format is you've so many interesting conversations we'll dive into, but we're gonna to go to the next one, which is know, no,
2: uh, yeah, you someone has to stop me.
0: <laughs> the second pillar, and we're trying to work out pillar, principle, practice, is celebration, and that's our translation of this idea of worship, which has got both a sort of communal gathering and also a personal side to it. So what does celebration look like in your life?
2: Celebration to me is is the Last Supper? I mean, it's it's breaking bread and and drinking wine quite literally, and and celebration and uh, um, ceremony. You know, I I feel like my there's no doubt my life could do with more ritual, or at least I have a suspicion that ritual and ceremony would enhance it. And I can I can get very very um, emotional almost over emotional when I get a dose of it and for me as an Australian that usually comes in the form of an Indigenous welcome to country or just a chat with a, an Indigenous elder who in our country slowly slowly we we are learning the lessons of, of how important it is to listen to um, our First Nations people and especially those who are carrying the song lines and the stories unbroken for 30,000 years you know like literally people who hold stories that are that talk about the last ice age it's crazy shit and when I um, when an aboriginal elder gets up in uh, some you know occasion and does a welcome to country and just says that stuff that echoes very much what you were saying about the way you talk about marriages that you know the time and generations and honoring having a relationship with people gone as well as people who are here and all that stuff, I can... I, I know I'm lacking it because it sometimes undoes me completely, um, having someone speak so beautifully with wisdom and ceremony and and transcendence, because I live a very um, deconstructing life. And... Uh, but, but on the other end of the scale, the less um, wisdom from an outside group or a group that's not my my people, I also have a very, very close and very, very big family. And so we, I grew up all six of us sitting around the table and now there's cousins and aunts and everyone. And, and my dad tends to like to say a few words. And I have at my house said every now and then I'm trying, I don't, don't try very hard, but I try to say we should say grace before dinner, which is basically take turns to say what we're grateful for and I discussed the other day with my mum because the reason I'm in Perth because my mum who six weeks ago was incredibly healthy 71 year old now looks like she she's not going to last uh may, maybe a year or something um so so we're in this incredibly high and she might of course uh probably not though and we're in this incredibly high heightened... thoughts
0: and prayers Tim thoughts and prayers
2: thank you Sanderson um that should do it uh here to a if you could send some of these really expensive chemo drugs, that would help. Um, uh, the The ritual of gathering, I was talking to mum yesterday and she was talking about, um, talking to one of her religious friends going, do you think, I don't feel like I can pray now, uh, partly because I don't believe it. And secondly, it would look a bit cheeky if he is out there <laughs> to suddenly like come online now. And uh, And I said to mum, I think prayer is, beautiful because it's a cry into the darkness. In the same way that hymns are beautiful, I find them profound because they're not going anywhere, because what they are is a representation of our need, not, not the result. And people who get confused about that and think that they their God did give them a football game, that just comes back to superstition and confirmation bias. But mostly it's the ritual of pouring what you want outwards into the infinite fucking darkness because the pouring out is incredibly human and can be incredibly beautiful when it's not petitionary, as they say, but it's not like, give me the money, show me the fucking money. It really is just... A cry into the dark, and, and I reckon go and do that. Fucking get into that. I mean, what else are you gonna
0: do? Maybe you went it? a bit more Australian at the end. Yeah, fucking get into that. <laughs> Frears, yeah, yeah, yeah. get it out, you. Get it out, get you, mate. It out
2: of you. Get it out of you. No, on that bottling up. <laughs>
1: I feel like there's something really interesting philosophically coming out for me in the way you're talking about your approach to life. That's a very pompous start to a question, isn't it? But but, (laughs) I'm in my happy place. Oh, this is good. This is good. I'm glad. But it, it seems to me that when you were talking about pouring out into the darkness and your sense that the the universe if i'm understanding you correctly doesn't have inherent meaning or inherent purpose but we create meaning through the stories that we tell and that that's quite a profound view of life that's quite different to many traditional religious conceptions that say the universe has purpose and meaning built into it and we just fit into that whereas i think
2: and all we have to do is believe a story we don't have to make one we have to Swallow one, but it
1: sounds like you don't you don't think that you think something quite different, which is we we make it i
2: suppose although i think i don't think all um all stories are equal and i I think there are inherent truths i, I um truth isn 't quite right, but i I think we have evolved as funny little sapiens that we are um to have this thing called morality which as far as we know is the only set of such ideas in the universe um, so far um, and and I, I, I'm i not a relativist, I, I don't think it's okay and it's hard to argue when you don't believe there's many in the universe. Um, for well it's actually not hard to argue but people try and go oh, where, where, where do you get your morality from then mm. um so so when i but talk Tim, about surely pro- being not-
0: atheist is also just a type of religion is that what you mean <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit
2: I uh, <laughs> sorry mate right, just a little well, I'm trigger hang- I'm, I'm hanging up my uh, atheist boots now you stumped me um the 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 story, when I talk about uh, stories, what I'm talking about is trying, yeah, yeah, I mean, James, you're absolutely, you've you've painted exactly what I think, but I just, sometimes when I hear it back, I think it sounds like a sort of relativistic position that ethically anything goes, you know, but I don't believe that. I think we have a moral obligation to tell stories that add meaning and add happiness and add uh, peace. um, and help the cry into the darkness that soothes and stuff. But I don't think, uh, I believe there's a great way to tell stories about the way the universe is, not the way that we wish the universe was. Um, I think you can build a moral life around uh, a, a meaningless universe. No worries. No worries, mate. <laughs> Easy fucking peasy. The uh,
0: and, and then the, the third uh Uh, practice pillar of lifefulness is community life and obviously you if you're going to think about spiritual community you know you think about the community like what does community life look for you um well this is my uh
2: this is where i struggle probably because um of transience and fame uh I'm not hugely transient and I'm certainly not hugely famous, but I, am, uh, I move enough and I'm known enough that communities got difficult and it's uh, sadness, definitely, and something w- my uh, um, wife and I talk about a lot. Um, and it's not that easy to solve either because some of it's in our heads. And, uh, but moving to a new city you've never lived in when you're 40 one or two, like my wife and I were, when we last moved, having moved four years before that to a city we'd never lived in, in a country we'd never lived in, having moved eight years before that to a city and country we'd never lived in, having lived, moved four years before that to a city we'd never lived in, you do get tired of trying to build community. And when we got back to Australia, we sort of turned to my sisters who live in Sydney and That was good, but it's actually not family. You you need a community outside a family, I think, even if your family's really close, you need other types. And um, so we're working on that, and I'm not quite sure what to do about it. I think it's just time now, again. Um, But my brother's the man to talk to about that. I'm sitting in his house at the moment uh, because he's got Wi-Fi, and um, he runs a company called Chorus, which is a sort of... a a home help, you know, provider for, you know, people who struggle either with disability or age or um, mental health or poverty. But he's working really, really hard to not, to turn this company, which he, there was three small providers that he became CEO in order to turn into one. And he called it Chorus because it's all about voices together. And his mission, which he's very interesting about and has come to the UK and talked to sort of industry leaders is to try and not let it be transactional, not like government gives us some funding plus a bit of philanthropy. We find a need and we give them the thing they need, a nurse for an hour a day, a meal, someone to do their garden, someone to walk with them to the bus or whatever. And then we walk away, take our paychecks and go home. He's trying to replicate what... Villages again. In a big city like Perth, is you know two million people. He's trying to work out how to make communities, how to make it a web again instead of a line. And he's he's he's. Uh, I'm very very interested in that project and in your project and and in my personal project <laughs> of having no mates. <laughs>
0: I would uh, totally love to speak to him as well, because that is, you know, there's some really interesting research in Susan Pinker's book, The Village Effect, which is all about like the, how much, uh, you know, when uh, religions say you can get cured of cancer, it's like, well, not actually by coming up at the front, but if you are part of a tight community, that definitely has an effect. Outcomes Um, are
2: hugely better.
0: And they had this, and and they had this study on, uh, and this isn't to disparage sort of for people in the caring industry, cause it's not at all the point of my story, really having a go well, at Well, they are assholes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, really interested in wiping people's Mmm. What sort of sick fuck would do that? They're about my grand, do you? <laughs> Is that they did uh, a study where someone came in for an hour and they were a professional, and then someone came in for an hour and they were a friend, and... Uh, when controlling for all the differences, it actually made a huge impact if that person wasn't paid. And you know, they're really doing you know, it's not a full double blind because someone knows if they're maybe at the end they just tell them they're not getting paid. I don't yeah, don't know, <laughs> fully know how you're doing have to pull out yeah, a number
2: the, out of a hat, whether you got paid that day or not.
0: The, yeah, it's this idea it's of amazing. being in relationship with people that is just healing.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: James, you want to do the 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 next uh uh part on Feel the lifefulness uh questionnaire
1: you bet i do we're gonna get to the end of
0: these so the next one well, i'm also loving brussels. the conversation whilst we're there it's not like the brussels sprouts before can, we get i can to, do i can I do shorter stupider answers no it's, no no these it. are all oh, great no. this is exactly this is the richness of we're it. exactly in the right we've slagged off care workers and we've sort of had <laughs> philosophical discussions which yeah, is the is venn is, diagram this of this podcast
1: yeah yeah, I think you said, Sanderson, that basically care workers shouldn't be paid for that. Uh, yeah, I think be more effective. Yeah, put that in the paper.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: great. Sanderson Jones says care workers shouldn't be paid during COVID. <laughs> yep, that's a good headline. <laughs> so personal growth is the next the next piece of lifefulness. How do you think about your own growth? And what things do you do right now that help you grow as a person?
2: Um, I write, write songs about it. uh um, uh, this is where I plug my record. Right, I've got a record coming out. Um, I'm putting out an album this year, which is basically is genuinely the answer to that question because it's a bit of a midlife crisis record. Although I hope I hope it doesn't just appeal to um, boring forty five year old white men. But um, uh, I I it's sort of grappling. It's an interesting time. This being in your forties, I reckon, and uh, I'm not the first person to say that it's an interesting time for me particularly because we've had a grand old adventure my Sarah and I and uh we've come back to Australia for the kids and um I've got a teenager who has some troubles and um and our mum and um obviously with COVID all my shows and tours and it's all just and I just lost a really close friend of mine Andre who's the producer of Matilda and uh, he dropped dead very quickly a few weeks ago, and my tour manager dropped dead on the last day of my last tour, and it's just been really like I am the most privileged fucker in the world and have had the luckiest run. But by any measure, it's been a like for so many people this year, but in a sort of particular set of ways, an interesting six months. And um, I find myself fine... I find myself really, really fine, actually. And the reason I'm fine, sorry, this is a digression, but I suppose maybe there's something someone will hear in this. Um, I think I'm fine because I love my work and can um, keep going. I think I'm fine because I've spent the last five years meditating on death and the passage of time, just interestingly with Groundhog Day, the musical, and... I'm just fucking name-dropping my work now, but my my TV show that I made, and this interestingly, I seem to... It's almost like I've been prepping, just because as you get older, you start thinking about these things. And finally, what's the point in having privilege if you can't apply it when shit gets tough? And coming back to the narratives I tell myself, that's a story I'm telling myself at the moment. I have this beautiful mum, this beautiful dad, who gave me this incredible upbringing. I have a gorgeous family um i've I've had a very lucky career so i'm I'm not you know gonna be on the bones of my ass. What is the point in having all that if you crumble when the going gets tough and that's what I say to myself, and it functions you know so to come back to growth, I guess I'm going through some stuff that is making me for the first time have to go, well, what are my resources it's all it's easy to be happy when you're you know, your musicals on the Western and your Mm. kids are all happy. Tell me about it. You know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, We can all relate, Tim. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Classic. Um, (laughs) So I've been thinking a lot about that and I I really, really do want. And and then the other big thing for me is learning, um, trying to figure out how not to be so focused on achieving the next thing I'm one of those people who somewhere along the line got their synapses lined up to think that if they're not proving to some entity that they can do something else then they're a failure and so I'm working on that as well that's not a very broad answer I guess I'm just...
1: Have you made any progress on that one because I could could really use some
0: help with that (laughs) Um. No Hey there, I thought I would uh, interrupt that great content for some more great content and what I want to tell you about is we are doing a Life on This Podcast launch competition and we've got some awesome prizes to give away. If you go to lifefulness.io forward slash podcast there is a box there and what happens is if you go and share the podcast, if you go and send it to your friends, if you go and Like our Facebook page and a whole host of other things, then you get one entry into the competition. And there are some awesome prizes there, there's a personal development workshop by James and I, there's a workshop for your company, there are talks which we will be willing to do in your company, your community or your not-for-profit. Yeah, we would love you to support this by getting the message out there. So what you do is you go to www.lifefulness.io forward slash podcast and if you're able to share this then you might get one of those super super good prizes so thanks so much and without further ado after sort of injecting some little extra to do back to the podcast in your it's quite interesting that you brought up your uh, the groundhog the musical and particularly around this question because uh Groundhog Day the musical because that's the next thing I was going to ask you about because the the progression of the character which you describe in your creative process uh is actually there's one person we reference quite a lot this psychologist called Robert Keegan who has got he was someone who so Piaget is uh, the great childhood psychologist and then there've been people who have said that well actually after childhood, we're still growing, you know, it doesn't just end. Anyone who's met an 18 year old, 20 year old, 30, pretty much anyone will know that you've got to keep on trying to develop. And then his model goes from sort of imperial. And this is this idea at that time where we just want to do what, like often around teenagers. And then and then there's this thing where uh, when you wrote about it, it's like uh, human happiness requires a, a level of acquiescence and desire not to be all powerful i was like oh that's interesting and the then the word acquiescence
2: like- was on top of the whiteboard for that period of groundhog day the musical yeah uh
0: and then in the socialized one that's often as you said uh this, that's the next stage of his uh, adult development he says about 58 percent of people are there and that's like often high achievers can be there because you know what? Uh, who are we doing that for? Like, what's going to happen? How many pats on the head do we need? Yeah, yeah. And then All the self-author, <laughs> and the self-authoring one is when you said that, uh, is this idea that it's actually about what we bring to the life that we're living now. And uh, this, when you said uh, the musical lands, hopefully not too heavily on the central idea that Mister Rubin buried in this amazing film script. Happiness requires that you change the way you see the world rather than constantly aspiring to materially alter it. And there's a the next one called Self-Transforming. And I didn't see the musical and only read those parts. So I don't know how much it applies to that fifth part. But uh, yeah, it was just really interesting seeing yeah, this parallel.
2: Well, the musical is literally this podcast in a musical. And I mean, it, it is the 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 movie... Was of course about a life, and and I, I the musical lent more on my sense that it's a, a bit about depression and getting trapped, but of course it goes through the phases of life, and in a beautiful way uses the day not just as a trap but as a metaphor for. It uses both days and seasons, and it, it leans on all these big grand old ideas, um, but it, I mean I uh yeah that it's all in that musical <laughs> like everything i i stuffed all this stuff in there um and and one of them is a, a part of acquiescence the the part that takes Phil a long time is understanding that not only can you not make death go away um, but you have to understand that without death nothing means anything you know and so uh, his understanding that he he, he, he became a micro-god, he, he learnt to control, um, but he had to realise he couldn't control everything and more profoundly he had to realise that he couldn't stop death, nor should he want to. And it wasn't till then that he... Um, he learnt that being good to others was the key, but he didn't realise that... He had to then learn that you have to also acquiesce. you have to... I mean, in the musical, halfway through or to halfway through the second act, he says to Rita, I know everything about you, I know everything. And the final lyric of the final song is I know nothing. And I know that's a massive freaking cliche when I say it like that, but that is what we are aiming to do. We are aiming to outline that that journey. Um, and it is a secular, It is it is a musical about how you create meaning in a meaningless universe, that's what it's about. And how do you get out if you've got down, if you've got depressed, how do you get out? How, how do you use meaning in a meaningless universe to pull yourself out of it, out of a spin?
1: Fascinating, because there's there's a way I think that some people think that when they don't have a religious outlook and they do accept that the universe is meaningless, but mm. they kind of think okay, my job is to bring order to this, is to control everything in my sphere. I'm going to impose myself on the universe as much as I possibly can. And I think that that misses the fact that at the same time as the universe being meaningless, we're subject to it, that we can't just do everything we could possibly want. We have limited time, that our limited abilities and our limited time are actually part of what makes it worth being here at all. But that's very difficult access when you're afraid of it ending.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and and, the, and even within a a week I can feel incredibly inspired and and this last couple of weeks when we've been dealing with this you know family tragedy unfolding uh I've had moments of incredible euphoria really born of isn't life amazing how it rolls on and here we are and mum's now old and I'm now grown up and my kids are now teenagers and the beach you know the waves roll in and the sun goes up and down and we love each other and then it passes and i i'm high on it you know and then other times you're like oh this is all fucked <laughs> but i really grab on to those you know learning terms of growth and any wisdom you can have through these experiences there's no doubt that part of my euphoria is born of me saying to myself well mate you gotta enjoy it like this is crazy how fast shit can fall apart so you better just get on with loving it because you know who's going to get the next dose of freaking whatever and we should be super aware of that the fact is though if the chemicals in your brain aren't working you it's very hard to take that tilt. And sometimes you just got to go to the doctor i
0: I, yeah i think that's i think that's where the word spirituality sort of uh, my first show uh I also forgot I haven't yet mentioned this well go uh uh pull back to one comedy related thing later my show, first show was called another heartbreaking but ultimately life affirming show about death and the title was 30% of the time better than the show uh and uh but sometimes it really conveyed uh what it was about and and I think then there was like I had this sort of almost feeling of transcendence to contemplate what it, to be alive. Like it is insane that we are, and not even, even if we were sitting around a campfire a thousand years ago, it would still be utterly bonkers for humans to be being. What is this that is happening right now because there's going to be a moment it's extinguished and nothing like this will be like a million orgasms compared to what a dead rock feels for a billion years. Like to contemplate what it is to be alive is insane, and it is the best insanity there is. And so, I was trying to somehow convey this, and in my my hands, if people watching this, if we ever get it on YouTube, will see my hands become like I'm weird puppeteer because my whole body gets into it. It's like what the fuck being, and and that's why I think the like I had this show which was about that, but actually, like getting this lens of spirituality is quite useful because I'm totally atheist, totally humanist, but that feeling that I get is I'm pretty sure that if you scanned my brain now it would be look like what's happening when uh your best friend Brian Houston of Hillsong is talking about God you know hitting those same yeah, things yeah. Yeah. and then but what's quite useful about spirituality is it then like looking into it is it then says oh well look if you've got this feeling and you think that this feeling can help your life and this is why we're sort of going through those different things it's like going? well actually there's this practice here which can help you and if you've got this way of talking about it in a group to connect
2: with that feeling more often so yeah
0: and actually having that lens on it and going like this like uh like recognizing that it is divine in the experiential sense not in the sort of and that's where the language gets all hazy uh but like you've got these same feelings and if and these are the feelings which lead to people building cathedrals and like getting right. and like organizing the civil rights movement and sort of coming together in collective action. And so it's like yeah. a, I think that's like why it's a really useful lens, because. Then when you're like, if you bang a load of Equis, what have you, you're like on the middle of the dance floor. If you just think that's a great time, that's fine. But if you've got this lens, which is that, oh, actually, this feeling is something that I can cultivate and is useful, then that can be... like turn something which can just be seen as some weird spandrel, this like evolutionary sort of like little curiosity into something that can be, you know, life changing and sort of community altering. So
2: I mean, that's right. But, I do also think two, two things come to my mind. One is Mark Watson hearing you do that rant about how everything's amazing would have a panic attack
0: you mm. know um oh, it's not everything's you, amazing i think that's super important to <laughs> no say no like no that, that that
2: that no that 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 um that the fact that we be being is such mm. an extraordinary thing like shining a light on that just makes watson like lose his mind with with existential dread he gets what yeah. brian cox calls cosmic vertigo you know um, so it, it, that I just wanted to—it uh, made me laugh thinking of what's a listening. to you get excited by the low odds chances of existence? Um, the other—the other thing is I—I I, I also think, at the risk of being a total wanker, I do think art is hmm. what fills this hole. I mean, art is the thing. That, what is the purpose of art? It, it is to help us find ways to. Um, uh, spend more time in that uh, atmosphere of transcendent joy. Music does it, uh, visual art does it, and the other great thing about the reason I love theatre and the reason I think it's so sad at the moment is and gigs and shit is because uh, mm. ga- well, that also gives us gathering and and subcultures and like oh we're all at this play we're all we're all experiencing one thing together and we can talk about it and we can go online and we shared that experience and no one else did. It gives you a lot of what churches wish they did, but they use too much reverb.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That is, uh, uh, yeah, th- th- and it's not to say that those other things, uh, that you don't get it anywhere else. That's, no, uh, that's... Not, not at all uh, the case. Yes. So we're down to our last
1: two pillars of lifefulness and uh, fifth one is serving others. So how do you spoken a little bit about your brother's work, but I mean, how, what does it mean to you to serve other people?
2: I guess there's two strands in my life. Well, three, I guess one, one is I do believe uh, for my own happiness and perhaps because I think it's probably the best way to go about things. I, I have, One big change I've made only in the last few months is I've stopped reading Twitter and I've stopped reading the news, actually. And I have come to the conclusion that we make the mistake of thinking there's a fundamental moral obligation to be informed uh, as if um, somehow by knowing there's bad shit going on, it absolves us from any implied, you know... um, blame, whatever the word is I'm looking for there, Um, and I think it's bullshit, because it was damaging my ability to be good at my job, uh, by which I mean being a dad and a husband, and good at my other job, by which I mean trying to bring some freaking joy, and uh, it was really damaging, and of course there's another flaw, which is you're not getting the news, you're getting Whatever hysteria is whipped up out of America and buoyed up by stupid people like us on Twitter who think showing that they're outraged by something changes the world, and it frickin' doesn't. And so I've, I've done a little adjust and stopped reading stuff. I mean, I'm not completely ill-informed. Um, I try I'm trying to flatten the curve of my knowledge so I'll, I'll read something a week later or something I'll try and read an analysis of a set of events rather than getting sucked into the news cycle sorry um we'll never finish if I talk so much but um but that's been really really good and an interesting thing is that through this quite interesting period in my life I've been feeling better even though a lot of shit's gone down and I think it's a lot to do with that Um, uh, The reason I brought that up in terms of service is that I think it's more important to be good to the people you meet in your day-to-day life uh, and your family and to be happy and be a bright light in the world than to furiously signal that you understand how shit the world is. Um, So to me, my notion of service has slightly gone from uh, agitating and, um, eviscerating and polemic to, uh, there's, there's enough of that in the world. Now I'm going to move to trying to make people laugh and cry and nice TV shows about family and stuff without pulling punches. There's still plenty of knife, knife edge in there. Um, the other thing I do is, um, give a bunch of shit away. So in my last to three years of touring, um, you can. Uh, I, I sell the 50 best seats in the house at a high premium, and the people who buy those seats know that every dollar of that, including all the percentages, and that I get the venues on board and everything, all that money goes to a charity in the town that we're playing in. Or, in the case of England, because there's too many towns and it's too complicated, we split it between uh, an adoption charity and a mental health charity. And so we're giving away 10000 bucks a night uh, when I tour. And I think that's good, but I also think it's me buying my way out of um, guilt and all that. So I'm aware of uh, the selfishness of philanthropy. Um, But I do that as well, and I talk about it openly and unashamedly, and I wear the T-shirt of the charity on stage for the encore, and I talk about it, I put a spotlight on them, give them a bunch of money, and so I'm... I'm using my profile and and my earning ability, but I'm also hoping to guilt other people like me into doing a similar thing so that's my little project uh, and alongside that of course I'm trying to do the the ten percent just to make sure at the end of every year with that project included that I'm hitting that mark at the very least that's just in terms of giving shit away, but you'll notice the absent the the uh, uncomfortable absence in my answer is that i um i'm not sure my um service isn't giving money is it
1: well i, I don't know something that struck me about your approach to selling the tickets and then giving the money is that what's really cool about that is it enrolls some of the audience in their decision like they know right that they're becoming part of Well them, we're right? giving them the chance to give but i get the tax <laughs> <them>. it's ingenious <laughs> but there is something about creating a community yeah. of giving there you're not just giving giving stuff away you're encouraging others to participate Without a doubt, it's a great feeling yeah and
2: before the shows the people from the charity come and get a photo and it's a really it's a really important part of it and it does it does make everyone feel good uh, and it does good in the world, I suppose. Um,
0: but the weird thing is, is, I'm not. I might might be reading between the lines. There, there might be like, but I'm not like going in and actually doing the washing up at this local homeless charity. Yeah, I'm charities. not doing like,
2: kitchen work. But I, the reason I think it's a and that would that be I, less
0: useful in many. It ways. would be less
2: useful, without a doubt. But it would be you're shit in at mod- washing up. Modeling, modeling. <laughs> yeah, I, everyone would have COVID. Um, I, I'd be. Uh, what I'm not doing is modeling service to my children. I'm modeling philanthropy and I model kindness because uh, it's in my nature, but also because in Australia, especially, I mean, you just, I'm never going to be rude to anyone ever. It's just ever in in any circumstance. So I model uh, politeness uh, and kindness, and especially I model kindness to people with less power. So people in service and all that so that's all good I mean I I I, I feel I live a pretty like I I complicate myself with philanthropy and making art that changes people and that all makes me feel good and I feel good about that but it's a pretty I basically do what I fucking want because I like making shit and I like people clapping me
0: you know it's pretty pretty I mean that is it's a mitzvah. Giving, uh, giving joy. Um, yeah, yeah. Blessed are the writers of sort of sharp five-minute satirical songs for They yeah. Shall Inherit the Earth, which is in yeah, one of the yeah. sort of apocrypha, I believe. Yeah, and
2: then give 10% of it away to the less meek. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, uh, and the, the last one in this is that, like, one of the great things about being part of a spiritual community of a congregation is this idea that if, that what I'm doing here leads to the world as it should be and this uh, idea of like changing the world where do you see this uh you've said you've taken a step back from activism but what does sort of changing the world mean for you at the moment
2: well i think it's more that i've really thought what is useful um obviously if i See something that I think I can make a change in using a comedy song, and that sounds ridiculous, but it, <laughs> I have. You know, there's been moments. Cardinal Pell.
0: Oy, oy, oh, oy. That is a great it, song. i
2: had a big, you know, I wrote a song that required a response from the Vatican um, and several court cases, you know, so it's not totally unimpactful, but I, I think, I do think. Um, I think this what, this discussion we're having, I mean, basically in the last few years, shamelessly sounding like a total wanker, I've basically gone, everything I want to do, I want to be contributing to the project of helping people find meaning in a meaningless universe, right? This is a phrase I keep using because I've thought about it a lot. And so I'm going to talk about my work again because I don't have any other framework um, in my TV show Upright really the last episode is upright is about coming to terms with the fact that um our broken bits are who we are and out out of out of our scars and errors and missteps and tragedies comes beauty. Or to put it the trite way I've been putting it when I'm talking about the show, you're um the sh- the shit of your life is the fertilizer for future flowers, right? So upright's all about a guy who can't forgive himself for making a mistake, and the the journey back home is a journey towards that self forgiveness or whatever. And um and so I guess what I'm saying is I'm now a, a wanker. I, I I I'm now I'm now rather than trying to rail, I'm trying to be wise, that I'm trying to make funny, in, entertaining and moving art that uh is accessible and helps people and holds a mirror up to people in a way that enhances their lives and um and, and the reason i'm talking about upright is because i it's my favorite thing i've ever made you know it's it it every day i get all these things of people reflecting on what that show made them think about and it's uh so i i feel all right i i don't think any particular work of art particularly changes the world but every work of art is is a drop in the ocean of culture and without culture we're fucking nothing so i guess that's all i can say to my work is i'm sticking mine i i i don't think i'm the least qualified person to offer a drop in that (laughs) cultural sea you know it's a pretty bold claim tim (laughs) (laughs) I, I agree learned, with it. I got, I, I, I got fast fingers. Some people don't.
1: <laughs> but I remember, I, I have this really strong memory. The, the only time I've ever seen you perform live was at the Reason Rally, where I oh, was on the edge Jesus of probably Christ. the, uh, I know right, the only ever atheist mosh pit, which happened a little later when Bad Religion performed. But I remember you performed the Pope song, and I hadn't heard it at that point, and. I noticed the reaction that it got from this huge crowd of people. The Reason Rally was a big atheist, like, mega rally in Washington, D.C. And there's something about the edge that that song had that punctured the aura of untouchability around religion for, I think, a lot of people, and said, no, our human moral concerns are allowed to be applied to this institution that claims a transhuman authority. And I feel like you said a little earlier that you 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 still want to keep the edge, and I just want to mm. affirm that that edge seems to me also as important as the wisdom. I don't know what mm. that sentence meant, but well, that's I what think, I felt like I should say. Yeah.
2: Well, I think I hope I I'm accumulating more tools, more skills. I'm I'm like going through the VR video game of life and turning over boxes and picking up tools. So I can, you know, do battle with bigger and bigger dragons. But I, I also think there's a time in your life for being a soldier or or a satirist or a fricking spoil, loudmouth fuck or whatever. And and it has to suit your feeling. And and I get, of course, every day I get people go, "Oh yeah, I liked you when you were funny." And where's your comedy? You fucking. Um, and I just go, well, I don't know. I don't feel like it anymore. <laughs> I didn't, I was never very interested in comedy. I really liked that period and I really, I still, when I got up on stage, I, it's still comedy. I I can't, it's just my mode of communication. But I just, I'm just not that. I did it. I did some funny songs and I kind of took that form to a place where I never dreamed I could take it, to orchestras in the Royal Albert Hall playing fuck the motherfucker to tens of thousands of people and I don't know I thought okay that's that I sort of felt like I'd done it and, and really I do you I can't feel top like, that can you well you, I've written a lot of satirical songs and fiddled with the form and been as you know put a lot of words into a very short spaces of time for a lot of years and in the end people will be like oh that's, that's what he does he does that thing and I'm like I'm not interested in that I am obsessed with not not letting people think they know what I'm going to do next. That's my ego.
0: This uh brings it back to a uh I think the last time we gigged together was at the Union Chapel and it was i thinking was maybe 2011 or 10 with, uh, the with Josie and Kits and Kitson yeah uh with Kits that Yes, with Kits Daniel Kitson closed it. And uh, yeah. then, oh no! He emceed it. You closed it. Oops. Uh, and then uh, I was gonna say, doesn't yeah, close easy for me. Mate. He might be much better
2: than me, but he's not more popular. <laughs>
0: it was all going so well until the one final faux pas, and that's oh, yeah, when the, the first time I, you did your cheese song, and uh, and this song both uh, points to the quality of your. Uh, songwriting and the dangers of satire. And it meant that I had to retire my cheese song, which I had been doing. It was a cheese (laughs) rap, got ricotta nerve, gonna get you what you deserve, except various things like that. What had made it maybe not the ideal starter in a comedy career? I can't believe I entered quite a lot of new act competitions
2: doing this. All I can say is it was a different time.
0: (laughs) It was a different time. I was watching too much South Park. And, uh, you know, we're we're all sort of uh, inventing on the fly. So, uh, hey, we're getting, that's it. We've got to the end of it. Uh, You have already, is there a specific thing that you want people to go and have a look at? uh, To go and you've mentioned Upright. And by the way, you've got a far bigger mouthpiece than any of this has but i always feel that i should ask anyway
2: oh no i don't i i really like this chat I'm, I'm oh, i mean i'm aware I, I talk too much but i suppose it's kind of become my job as it is yours um no i really and honestly i this talk is it's it's kind of it's what i do now and I, I i i sort of feel like it's must be boring to a lot of people but i um, it's not to a lot of people. I think one of the great luxuries of being an artist or, uh, you know, a sort of philosopher, comedian is you actually just have time to do this because this is what you do. And what you realise, you think, well, everyone at our age is having these thoughts because they're the thoughts you have when you get to this age. But you, one fails to take into account that most people just don't have the luxury of, the time to read the books and, you know, navel gaze. And so, so I think especially with men, uh, I think with mental health and stuff, it's really, really important that there's some people out there banging on about meaning. Um, I think it's appropriate. And I think what you guys are doing is I'm incredibly intrigued by it. And, uh, and, um, wish I could be more involved. I mean, when you first started doing it, I wanted to be involved and life took me away.
0: Uh, the Well, look, thanks so much. It's very uh, nice for you to say so. So uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening and uh, yeah, thank you so much, Tim. It was great. Pleasure. What an awesome chat. Thanks so much, Tim, for that. It was really amazing. I'm, recording this in the sitting room whilst my wife is uh, feeding little Ragnar to sleep and yeah just really excited to be releasing that podcast tomorrow because to my mind that conversation got to the heart of what we're all about at The Life on This Project like a a really serious look at what religion does give people and then you... Undoubtedly heard it, but I just loved it when right from the get go, Tim was talking about meaning because meaning is the thing. Uh, you know that you know he put it so well. Like he wants to, like his meaning is creating meaning, and it sounds circular, but I mean that's because meaning literally defines what is important to us, and no matter how much time you concentrate on it, then it's going to reward you. Uh, you know to the same proportion uh and anyway at the end of the podcast there's always a moment when i talk about the lifefulness community because this podcast is you know a stepping stone to building a real connected community of people and also how the lifefulness project is going uh it would be awesome if we had some sound drops to be like <laughs> the lifefulness community but we don't so we just have that uh and look As I said at the top, that uh, link now works, uh, www.lifefulness.io, use some money, forward slash uh, membership. And then you can go and apply to uh, be part of the small groups that we're launching. And these small groups are sort of part discussion group, when we're going to discuss these really meaty conversations, which come up in the podcast, which are so central to how we live, like the week before last, it was finances, this time, it's sort of meaning. Uh, But the amazing thing about small groups is that's a long term commitment, there'll be a sort of support unit, accountability team, uh, inspirers-in-chief, and a sympathetic ear. And so go to www.lifefulness.io, you my life, uh, forward slash membership. By the way, it's just .io. Uh, And then you can apply. We're going to be starting them small uh, in digital small groups, but then... Yeah, one day we hope that it is as easy to find a life on this community where you are as it is to find a yoga studio or mindfulness class and yeah so yeah it was a good week for the life on this project like we've launched the podcast we're sort of trying to plan our workflows and just really loved all the feedback from people thanks so much for rating and reviewing and all of those things and yeah, Just really appreciate the sort of ideas that we're bringing. Uh, the sort of on the, like, these are always at like, part what's happening in the life of this project, part sort of uh, what's happening with me, and seem to be finding some new ways of working with my ADHD. I had like a, a real insight around Google calendars today, which is a bit embarrassing, but. You know, that is the stuff which like to me just makes such a huge difference in my life. If I, you know, like I've got this work that I love doing and, you know, it's, you know, people appreciate it. But it's so often the sort of logistical and the doing side of things, which uh, uh the way my brain works uh, can sometimes be a bit complicated. And so that's, you know, that is quite a big thing for me in terms of. You know actually feeling that it is under control so yeah that's where uh we are at the moment uh and so this is the time that we get to the uh credits so i want to say thank you so much to the amazing Tim Minchin uh, and then uh, James Cross, I know you are a big fan of Tim Minchin. I'm just as big a fan of you. Thanks so much for that. Mav Shetty, you're an amazing producer. And thank you to Roman Rapak and Miro Shot for the music that you are listening to right now.